0: Thank you for tuning in to our Bear Creek AG podcast. You are about to listen to our weekly Bible study with Pastor Tony. Thanks for joining in. Let me start again. Good evening. I'm glad each and every one of you are here tonight and joining me tonight in our Bible study. Um, As you're probably aware, maybe you're not, uh, but last week we did not finish our Bible study. We had a medical emergency so if you're listening by podcast, and last week's uh, ended abruptly, that's the reason why we had a medical emergency. Praise God uh, that everything's okay. Amen. But because of that, we didn't quite finish chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews. So tonight, our goal is to finish chapter 12. If we have time, we'll jump into chapter 13. I don't want to rush it. Uh, reality is to, what we didn't get to, and it's, it's ordained of God, is, is really something very powerful in the close of chapter 12. And I'm excited that we can, we can get there and that we can um, look at it here in just a moment. Let me turn into my notes here. We're going to pick up in verse 15 of chapter 12 of Hebrews, but just as a, just as a reminder, I'm not going to hash through this, but every, every scripture, but just as a reminder, the writer of Hebrews is really closing out the letter to, this, to these uh, Jewish Christians, and in verse 12 he, he just reminds us about, hey, because of these great witnesses that we have, because of their lives, their examples that he gave us in chapter 11, He's basically saying, he's trying to close with encouragement. Listen, let's finish strong. Cast off anything that holds you back from living out your life with purpose for for God. And then he goes into a time here of saying, and don't forget, in case you're wondering, God loves you. How do you know God loves you? Because he he, he corrects those he loves you. That's, That's what he was talking about. And then he goes in and says, and don't forget the benefits. Don't focus on the correction but, but focus on the benefit of, of God correcting you. What is the outcome of God's correction? And then he says in verse 12 and 13, therefore, because of this, because God loves you, he disciplines you because there is, there is fruit to it, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. He said, because God's love for you, is this one for you, it's time to take action. It's time to heal yourself. It's time to m- mend your arm, your feeble arm, strengthen yourself here. And, and he says it's time to take action. And we, we started in verse 14 last week about taking practical action. He said make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness no one will see God. So he says listen the first practical act because you're under persecution for what you believe, because you're being rejected by your own fellow uh, Jews who are not do, do not believe in Christ, because of this, strengthen yourself. Understand some of this is God's chasing you, some of it's God because He loves you and He's strengthening you. But now the practical action uh, of strengthening yourself begins with first just living at peace with everybody. And living at peace with God. That's what he says right there. Learn to live at peace. They may persecute you. They may say things about you you don't like. But be peaceful. from From your perspective, as much as you can, which is a New Testament theme: live at peace with everybody. And, of course, be at peace with God. And so that brings us here in our 19th week here uh, into verse 15. And again, he's giving us a scripture that makes sense. It's a practical step of action. Verse 15, "...see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many." This is where we left off. We didn't quite get finished uh, with this particular verse. Uh, we, we, I asked the question, "What do you think this bitter root is?" And, and someone, I believe it was Brother Gerald, could be wrong. Someone mentioned something about bitterness, and, and which definitely is is a is a root that we have to be mindful. That's a bitter root. But the the question is is this is this aimed at false believers or is this aimed at the church here? It is the church, absolutely. We know from the context, because he's speaking to the church, he's talking about living and confined and being, as we read on, you'll find he's going to give us more direction how we live practically with the church. While, while it's possible the context it seems mostly to focus on something else, it's a command regarding those within the church who are defiant towards God and His holiness. It's following up from the previous verse. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I
1: think that would be because nearly all
0: gossip is not positive. Oh, actually, matter of fact, in the next verse, he's going to talk about morality. He talks about sexual morality, but it really is about all morality. But absolutely. What are those things? Well, if you were to look at the history, now, I always say this. I'm not saying right or wrong or indifferent here, but. We often think of these people reading this letter as if they already have the entire New and Old Testament for them. We know they don't, right? We know that they have, they probably have some of the Old Testament. They definitely learned if they were true Jews, and they had, they definitely knew the law. They definitely knew the stories of the Exodus, because those are very important. They definitely uh, uh, participated in the festivals, although these now are Christian Jews, but they would know about it. And so, when we think about this, sometimes we think about, they already knew the New Testament. But in reality, they're living out the New Testament. They are the New Testament. So, the writer here, remember, he's talking to, in a traditional Jewish way, to Jews. And so when you look at that, this root of bitterness, probably, as we look at the Old Testament, probably is referring to an incident that happened over in Deuteronomy. And, and, and in the Old Testament, the word bitter root usually means poison. It usually pointed to, to, to poison. Now, over in Deuteronomy, it talks about I'm getting my. There, it's where the people of Israel they they uh, they were warned about those who assumed they 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 would be blessed and protected by God despite their willful rebellion over there. You'll find that they were they they were uh, worshipping false idols. Excuse me for my stuttering. There, they were worshipping false idols. But yet, because they were worshiping false idols and they were also making sacrifice, they felt like because of that, God would still protect them. But that's, that's not true. And it's talked about how this is not true. This is that root of bitterness. It, it, it refers to a poisoning and here the bitter roots are said to cause trouble and defilement. So he's referring to a metaphor, I don't like using that word, but a, 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 an account that was in the Old Testament, and he's bringing that into the reality. They knew that that root of bitterness was false worship, worship of false Idols. It was living a life that was not presentable to God. And that would include, brother, bitterness, absolutely, or gossip or, or anything of that nature. And so that's what he's talking about. He's talking about this idea, this bitter root is, is somebody that is, that is causing trouble or defilement to the body. And that's the key here. The key to it is he's saying, listen, if you go back and read it, he says, See to it that no one falls, we're talking about the, within the body of Christ, uh, uh, short, falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root causes up to ca- grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And so this is what he's dealing with. He's dealing with people who cause controversy. Uh, that led others to sin, those who became poison within the body of Christ. He says, listen, a practical way to strengthen yourself, a practical way to to make yourself strong, a practical way to get better is, listen, there are people within the fellowship who have fallen from the grace of God. What they've done is they have brought sin, they they have brought bitterness, they have brought poison into the body and it's defiling the whole body. See? He's really... And I want to say this, as I read this and study this in light of the rest of the book of Hebrews, especially in light of the fact that he said in chapter 10, this is continuation, don't forsake the assemblies together of yourself as some has. We talked about that in detail. That, that's not a, a whip to browbeat people to come to church. It's more of what? A cry for accountability. It's more of a cry for brother looking after brother. And that's what he's saying. It's not that you want to find these people who are the bitter root and alienate them. That might be a course you have to take. We know from New Testament teaching that may be the last resort that you turn them over to their lifestyle if they're not going to change. But really, it's about rescue them at this point. Strengthen yourselves. Make yourself strong. Mend that area that's broken. Deal with the bitter roots. You have to deal with it. And it's not so much about going, you are a sinner and your cause... It's more like, hey, brother, do you see what's happening in your life? Do you see how how you're dragging your family down? Do you see how you're dragging those around? That's really the cry because he's saying, don't go back to Judaism. No, stay strong, strengthen yourself here. Work together. Be a strong body, because why? We need each other. That's what we have to understand. He's saying we need each other in this. Any questions, any comments to that? I know I just spewed. I didn't mean to, but um, sometimes I get excited about it. See? No questions, no comments, no corrections? Well, Professor, uh, put on my
1: heart in that area. that why?
0: Yeah. That's what the New Testament calls it. calls being a stumbling block, actually, in the New Testament. Yeah. To not move in other people's lives. Yeah. And has been a personal conviction of mine. And as long as we all take that approach, Brother Gerald, and we're errant on the side of self evaluation, I call it self evaluation, and making sure that you're not the hindrance or the holdback, the body's going to be healthier. See? absolutely but there are some people who do not realize they're being a hindrance they don't realize that they're a bitter root they don't necessarily and i know some people are troublemakers so i I get that but i'm 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 talking about those who genuinely maybe they're new believers maybe they're not so new but yet they 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 have been told i'm going to deal a little bit of this sunday morning they've been not told a lie but yeah told a lie or led to live a lie that this is okay and that's okay and reality is we're only as strong as the weakest link of the member of our body right Right. Everybody, every member of the body is important. True. So there's no one part any more important than the other part. If one person hurts, we all hurt. If one part's sick, we're all sick. And so I I see it that this is where this is where it it falls within the line. And and maybe I'm looking at from my own viewpoint. I don't mean to. I don't think I'm taking. I see this as really as accountability. I really see this as, hey, you are your brother's keeper you you if, if everybody just ignores the elephant in the room the elephant stays in the room but but you know brother bill if you're if you are living in sin either willfully or unknowingly you you need to know right i mean if i really love you and care about you it's not that i'm going to come and, and chastise you or browbeat you or condemn you it's more out of love so that what our relationship the body can be be whole and and so he's saying take action here this is how you become healthy This is how you bind up. This is how you get your path straight. Read that verse again. Within that context, he's saying, this is how you do it. Chastisement. God uses other people to bring chastisement or correction, right? I mean, God definitely through his word. Right? But if you read something and you keep living contrary to it, something's not connected. Either there's a lack of understanding or what have you, or there's, there's scales uh, for understanding there. That's where God then uses people and God chose the body. Am I right? Now, I know some people don't like to be corrected. Right? I mean, we really don't. And some people, when they are corrected, they, they, they get offended, and, and I get it, but if it's done in love, out of genuine love, isn't that the way we're supposed to function? I guess is what my point is. Whether we do or not, is that not the way God designed the body of Christ to function? That we're self-caring, that we take care of each other? Am I wrong? Am I off here? I mean, I know nobody wants to be chastised, but, but what did He just say about it? Look at the benefit of it. Don't look at the process. Yes, it's going to hurt, but what's the benefit of it? You're going to be better. I think, and I use this analogy a lot. I think sometimes as Christians today, we're like the frog who the water was slowly turned up, and before you know it, you're cooked because of. And I use the word complacency, but maybe it's not complacency. Uh, maybe that's not the best word to use. But just because, um, you know, you, you how do you want to say? It? You put one straw on a horse's back, no problem. But you start putting bales of hay straw it becomes weight after a while. And that's the way it is with sin. That's the way it is with neglect in our spiritual walk. And I think as believers today, we have become very comfortable with where we are in the Lord. I'm saved. That's all I want. And we don't want to take that next step to intimacy, growth, and maturity in the Lord. See. And so he's saying, hey, look, for you to get healthy, for you to get stronger, for you to have a path that's straight, for God to order, for this to happen in the church. Because remember, we're reading it as individuals. Well, we're reading it as a group. But if you're reading in your Word, you're reading as an individual. He's writing to a church. He's writing to the church. You are the church. We are the church, see. And so with it, we have to grasp that. He goes on. He says, take action. Verse 16, see that no one is sexually immoral. See that no one, no one who? He's talking to the body of Christ here. I don't think any of us would like
1: to go up to somebody and tell them what they're doing wrong. That just
0: to me is just something that I don't And a lot of which I should probably, according to the script. But and a lot of things we don't know they're doing. Oh, I agree. I, I totally agree. You don't know they're doing it, how do you correct it? But let me ask you this. When did the church stop operating within the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Part of it is do you not think God will reveal to you, at least to go to someone? You ain't got to go to someone and say, Carl, you know, the Holy Spirit's revealed to me this about you. But maybe, and I think part of your problem, Mary, or not your problem, but our problem, is relational too, isn't it? Have you never, Mary, you mean tell me you've never corrected me ever in my 12 years being here? Never? Well, that's, the point is, I, 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 I concur, but my point being is, you have. Why did you feel comfortable correcting me? Talk to me. You knew me well. It's relational. Absolutely. It's relational. I think that's the key. Brother Gerald? The big thing is that when Jesus kneels down and writes in the dirt, let him that is without
1: sin catch the first stone. Yeah. Well, the first thing you're going to say, someone will say, is that if you try to correct them, they
0: say, well, look, you're doing this. this That's right. You're right.
1: I won't tell you Yeah. I went
0: to coffee with yeah. them and talked to them about something I need and grabbing it, probably. And now they're not happy. There you go. There you go. And not everybody's gonna receive you. But, like you said, but it's easier after you get to It is related. Absolutely. That, I, I, and that's my point, but that's isn't that whether y'all know it or not, that is where God has led our church to right now. We're trying to get more relational. We are. Because why? We only can be as strong as the relationships that we have with people who are going to be honest with us. If you truly want to grow in the Lord, right? Now, honestly, I know. Brother Gerald, you're right. There's going to be people, but what does that tell you about where they're at? All they do is say, well, look what you're doing, or who are you to judge me? What does that tell you about them? There's pride. There's pride. So there is a problem for sure they're not open to correction what do you do about that you just say okay fine well look i just i, I care about you so it's all in at how you approach if they don't receive you your feelings going to get hurt but i i don't know maybe it's because i'm a pastor i would rather err on the side of let me put it this way i have regrets of times i didn't go to people i would rather err on the side of going to somebody in honest love and concern for their spiritual growth their spiritual relationship with god not, that, that, go, that falls in the same category of, of people saying, well, I don't want to tell this person about Jesus. I don't want to tell them if they don't have Jesus, uh, they're going to go to hell because they're going to reject me. So you're, you're out of fear of them rejecting you, you're going to, you're, you're going to uh, sentence them to eternity separate from God. I mean, not you, but basically, if you're not going to be the person to go talk to them about it because you don't want your feelings hurt, you don't want them to be offended, well, fine, I'm okay with that as long as I have their friendship. I don't care where they spend eternity. No, no, if you really care about them. Right? I know am kind of going in circles here, but I just, I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate about this. It's not easy. I've had to take, I've had to take people off the platform, out of places of leadership before because of immorality in their lives. I hate to do that because why? It's confrontational. It hurts. But I care enough about the person. And plus I'm a person of authority and leadership. What I permit is a reflection of my leadership. So I have a little bit more of a responsibility from that standpoint, but I've, I've gone to people who weren't in leadership and said, "Look, I know this about your life. You, got, you have to know it's not right. Well God understands, God understands what you're doing is wrong. <laughs> and that person no longer comes to our church. But they heard the truth in love, in love. I've had several people have come to the church anymore because I confronted them about living in rebellion to God. Carl, you had your hand up? I think when God goes through somebody to correct you, I mean,
1: it might not be you, it could be. I mean, somebody who's really close to you, I think when God uses them to correct you,
0: I believe in my heart that you're going to listen to them a lot more. If, if it's... Right. It's it all depends on who. You're there. So, how important is it now that we have close relationships with people? Yeah. And how important is it that you have a relationship with somebody that at least you perceive is where you want to go spiritually? I know we don't like hierarchies, but if there's somebody who is spiritually where you want to go maturity, you need that person in your life. See, we we call that mentoring, or we call it discipleship and and so as a more mature quote unquote brother or sister in christ i should be mentoring or discipling those who and i know it sounds judgmental but you know you hear my heart you know what i'm talking about i'm not judging but just aren't spiritually uh that are, aren't as mature as they are that want to get more mature however you want to frame it it's not a judgmental statement it's a practical statement about discipling somebody and how much do you need somebody i have people i answer to and i speak to that i because why? I I need that. I don't do it as often as I should. to Be honest with you. Because the person I have is n- not often available. <laughs> but I, I, yeah. Did I see another hand over here? Summer. Yeah, I'm just echoing what you okay. said. Okay. You really said what I was going to say about. It. If it comes from a place of love. That's the difference. It is. It, and that's clearly that's biblical. Is that a place of love? Absolutely. So you You know how I know it's out of love because the way God modeled it. God chastens those, corrects those, and disciplines those whom He, he loves. And is always, he, cha- he, he disciplined David when David had an affair. Did he, did he do that out of love or hatred for David? He did it out of love, didn't He? He sent, he sent a prophet because David was living in denial. Mary Lou? That's what I'm saying. We are His body. You have to get the image. Christ is the head. We are the body. Yes, ma'am. Sometimes people don't realize that they have these sins in their life. They were raised that way. Their family knows that. You know, I had a friend that wouldn't talk to another friend because she said she's manipulative. Mm. She didn't know she was manipulative. Right. But she did that with everybody, and somebody, if they didn't tell her, she'd never know. Right. Yes. So it helps a person to know. I didn't realize I was doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. It takes it takes relationships. It really does. And then people who love. Who have love for one another and have love for God. Okay? So we must we must get right in regard to our moral conduct. Or is Godless or or is Godless continuum verse sixteen? Or is Godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance his inheritant rights? As the oldest son, you know, I wrote, I just wrote a side note, not to really believe this, but many Christians today sell a birthright of intimacy with God as cheaply as Esau sold his birthright. See, yeah. Yeah. Verse 17 afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. All right, now, I'm not, this doesn't speak that there's no salvation. This, this, this is talking about that he couldn't change. There's times that you can't change what you've done, but you can definitely face what you've done. And eventually Esau does, doesn't he? He does. Later on, he does go to his brother. Remember, Jacob was scared, but he made peace with, with Jacob. And they lived, with, they lived in peace together. But he never did get the birthright. Sometimes when we do things, we lose, we don't necessarily lose our relationship with God, but we definitely lose some of the blessings and the benefits of God, don't we? See? Verse 18. Um, I'm going to camp here for just a moment. I think I brought some notes in. If not, I'll make sure I get them before I leave. Um, Verse 18. It says, You have not come. Listen to what he's saying here. He says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further wood would be spoken to them. Now this this may not make sense to you, but just hang on, we're going to get there. Because they could not bear what was commanded, quote, even if an animal touches the mount, it would be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. What is the writer of Hebrews describing here? Mount Sinai. When, when Moses, when God shows up at the top of the mountain, Moses goes up there and he gets the law. And there's lightning, and there's thunder, and there's clouds. I mean, it was, it, it was scary here. So he's describing what it was like when the Israelites came to Mount Sinai after the exodus out of Egypt. It was scary to the people. So the reaction of the Israelites was understandable. What They were terrified. They were scared. They wanted this experience to stop, not to continue. This is scary to us. We've been in bondage for 400 years. We come out through the leadership of Moses. You've done all these miraculous things. We know you're a great God. We've seen all these plagues. And now, God, you're thundering, is are lighting. And this is a little terrifying here. I want you to get the picture that he's drawing here, what they saw, okay? Even Moses was afraid. I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. But this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Listen to what he's saying. This isn't where you have come. No, you're not at Mount Sinai. That's not where you're at. But you have come to Mount Zion. He's making a contrast here, see? To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous and and made perfect. To Jesus, the meditator of a new covenant meaning or excuse me, of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a a, a better word than the blood of Abel. This is a great picture. I, this is amazing. We're in a different place than the Israelites are. I want you to grasp. That's what he's saying. Remember, this is pointing back to the old covenant. He said, we're not living under the old covenant. We're living under the new covenant, right? He's, he's closing this down. He's reminding them. Remember the beginning. He says Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Look at this new covenant. He is our mediator. He goes before the Father. I mean, he's, he's wrapping it up. He says, listen, God chastises you because he loves you. Take this correction for what it is and straighten up, straighten. Get your act together. Get your life together. Get get united. Get focused." He said, "...because why? You have come to Mount Zion." See, the law came to Sinai, but the cross was on Zion. Mount Zion. See, Sinai was associated with Egypt. Zion is associated with heaven. A few angels delivered a law to Moses on Mount Sinai, but yet Mount Zion has a new You can't count the number of angels. What God gave at Mount Sinai was mainly for Israel. What God gave on Mount me—Mount Sinai is for Israel, but what God gave us on Mount Zion is for all. This is good. This is good. I mean, let this be part of your theology. Think about this, all right? Mount Zion doesn't do away with God as a judge, though. Not at all. Rather, the work of Jesus, that Jesus did on Mount Zion satisfies the justice of God, bringing forth the spirits of righteousness made perfect. He's made us perfect through Christ. Mount Sinai was about an old covenant based on earning and deserving, but my, Mount Zion is based on a new covenant with Jesus the mediator based on believing and receiving. Mount Zion, excuse me, Mount Sinai was marked by fear and terror. Mount Zion is place, a place of love, forgiveness, and acceptance. See? This is great. I mean, this, this, I, matter of fact, if you want a copy, I've got all this down that, that the Lord's given me through, through just studying, reading the the, the differences. There's more, right? Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai, I get it out here in a minute, is in the desert. Well, Mount Zion is a city of the living God. Look at, look at that analogy. Life with God, desert is, is death, all right? Mount Sinai spoke of earthly things. Mount Zion speaks of heavenly things. Colossians 3, keep your mind focused on things above. See? Heavenly things. At Mount Sinai, only Moses was allowed to draw near to God. At Mount Zion, all are invited to draw near to God. What a difference. He said, look at the difference. Such a great difference. Mount Sinai was characterized by, by guilty men in fear. While well, Mount Zion features just men made perfect through the blood of Christ. Mount Sinai, Moses was the mediator. Mount Zion, Jesus is the mediator. Mount Sinai brought the Old Covenant, which was ratified by the blood of animals. Mount Zion brought a New Covenant, which is ratified by the blood of Jesus, the Son of God. Mount Sinai was about exclusion, keeping people away from the mountain, afraid from God. Mount Zion is all about invitation to God. Mount Sinai is about the law. Mount Zion is about grace. He said, keep this. You're You're not at Sinai. Christ perfected the law, didn't do away with it. Now there's grace. Now there's a better covenant. See. This is where you're at. This is what this is where we're at today. See. It's not about legalism. It's not about law. See. I don't change, I don't, I don't change my outside to make my inside change. I allow God to change my inside, which reflects on my outside. Big difference. Big, big difference. I have this all written down. Like I said, it's around here somewhere if somebody wants a copy of it. Uh, just for your own study notes. Now, this this, this comment he makes here, some believe, uh, you know, he talks about the blood of Abel. I, I, I've just been just speaking, so let me open this. What do you think the blood of Abel implies here? What is the blood of Abel? What's, what's he saying here when he talks about the, the, the blood of Abel? Where He, he speaks there, he says, uh, we've come to others, the other mountain Zion, the name of the hill upon which Jerusalem sits. The law came to... Oh, excuse me. i just, I just reading my notes. I apologize. You have come to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous and perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling blood that speaks, better word, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let's talk about that because that's kind of an interesting statement. He brings Abel in here, which he mentions in the previous chapter. What do you think that means? What, what does that mean to you? Absolutely. So many think, and I'm not saying the, that either one is right or wrong. I think they both apply here and I'll show that. Many think this is talking about the blood of Abel that was shed by Cain. In other words, Abel's blood, he died. But reality, this is pointing to the sacrifice. Why? Because this is the first recorded sacrifice that we have in the Bible was Abel's sacrifice, blood sacrifice. And absolutely. Absolutely point pointing to that. But could it also mean the blood of Abel? I mean, in a way, it, I mean, you know, in a way, and not in a way, it, it literally is. I mean, uh, the blood of Jesus is better than the blood of Abel, right? Yeah. I mean, the blood of Abel cried, justice must be satisfied, bring vengeance. But what did the blood of Jesus cry? Justice has been satisfied, bring mercy, see. That's, well, yeah, because that's what Abel and God did. God, vengeance is mine. God brought vengeance on Cain, marked him. He couldn't be killed, but he was marked. He lost the blessings of God. So, even if you look at it that way, it's so true. So true. Good evening. Absolutely. So, the idea of, of the superiority of the new covenant is repeated or implied in these statements that he made right there in those verses. It shows that Jewish Christians should not even consider going back and preferring the religion of Mount Sinai to the relationship they could have with Jesus because of Mount Zion. See, that's powerful. We don't have to live in fear of God. There is a fear in the sense that we need to respect God. Amen. We need to respect God. It's not We like the idea that God is our friend, and I don't want to undermine that. We sing songs about that, and we know that Abraham was a friend of God, and there's no doubt. But we don't need to allow that friendship to override our respect for God. Does that make sense? Don't take your relationship casually with God. Have that awe and respect of who He is and what He's done. You just get the privilege to boldly approach Him because of Jesus, see. And it's like parents and kids. That's another good analogy parents and kids. We can be friends to our parents. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe, absolutely. Well, I believe God wants us to go to a position of friendship with Him. I believe that. I mean, did, did not Jesus say that? You were my servants, but now you're my friends. When did they become friends? It was almost three and a half years into their walking with Him when He was about to hand the most precious thing over to them the birth of the church. And He says, You're no longer my servants. I've trained you, you've ministered with me, you've served with me. You're not my friend, so there is this sense of intimacy where we can become. I mean, like I said we can become a friend of God, but they never; those disciples never stop having awe of what Jesus. Matter of fact, you can look in the writings and the preachings and all they did. Oh, uh, we may be friend. He may consider us friends, and that's the way I look at God. I'm, I hope God considers me a friend. I hope I'm doing well to fulfill the purpose and the plans that He has for me, and and continue on the ministry of the church and blessing and reaching people. I mean, I hope from that standpoint I'm His friend because He's entrusted me with that. But I'm careful not to consider him a friend. I mean, he is a friend, but I, he's my father, first and foremost. He's my, my God. And, and it's kind of like with me and my boys. There's a time I was their parent, right? I was their father. That hasn't changed, but they're adults now. So we're more like buddies and friends when we hang out, but yet there's still this element of they respect me as their father and they honor me, see? See, I think that's a great way to look at it, see? Or, or a mom and a daughter, right? Shayla? Yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. (coughs) Absolutely. That's right. The disciples had matured to the point that Jesus was ready to hand off the mission of the birth of the church and the spreading of the gospel. They had matured. Absolutely. Brother Gerald, do you have your hand? The
1: angels in heaven always react to God as holy.
0: Absolutely. Holy. And holy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then they call him Lord. Capital. All capitals.
1: Sometimes we we actually lose the respect, as I
0: expect you mentioned know, you before, yeah. Of God. Just that He is holy. Yes. He is holy. Absolutely. He is holy. We just take sometimes I think we take God to character. I think so too. I think I think so too. We've lost that that aspect of awness. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I don't want to throw us all in that that pot, but to a great degree, I think a lot of people. Some of that's maturity. Some of that's because we want to make God so approachable that we we bring Him down to that level, and and, and not not intentionally. That's just a it's just an unintentional uh, byproduct of trying to make Him approachable. Uh, but we need to remember He's still the Creator of all. <laughs> he's still all powerful. He is. Holy, absolutely. And we need to keep that, that perspective. We try to bring God down to us. Yeah. That's the wrong. We have
1: to go up to
0: God. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. So God holds the goodness and glory of Mount Zion before us. The perfect and finished work of Jesus and the new covenant through Him. If we choose to refuse this from God, we can't ignore or escape the consequences that come from rejecting the gospel. No more than them who on Mount Sinai, when they rebelled, had to face the consequences of the rebellion. Remember what happened? What did they do? Moses disappears for a while. For several, oh, what, 40 days or something like that? Forgive my details. It seems like it was 40 days, but you know, there's a lot of 40 days in the Bible. Um, and, uh, and so they said, well, Moses is gone, right? I guess God took him or killed him. I don't know. But hey, Aaron, we need, a, we need a God to worship. Build us a calf. Here's all the jewelry, all the gold that we, well, not all, but most of it from Egypt, we brought out of Egypt. And he made them. And there was a cost to that rebellion. There was a cost to the rebellion as when they were in the wilderness. For forty years, they wondered they did not get to enter the promised land. See, yeah. So that we have to know there's consequences, right? And and he said, "What? I'm going to shake it." God shook the earth on Mount Sinai, didn't he? On Mount Sinai, God showed up, gave the the booming and the guard. Did God not shake Mount Zion on the day Jesus died? And there was an earthquake. And God will once again come, as you know, the the mighty fireball preacher preached just a couple of weeks. God Jesus is coming again and when he does, all that can be shaken will be shaken. The earth will be shaken, the heavens will be shaken. The earth will be split and, and split. On the Mount of Olives. Yep. Sure will. Absolutely. When He sets foot, there'll be a valley created on the Mount of Olives. Absolutely. Verse 27, the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that we cannot be shaken. So what cannot be shaken, excuse me, I can read folks, I apologize. May be, may, cannot be shaken, may remain. So no, words, God shakes things to test them, and then to take away the things that cannot be tested. We know all earthly things are going to be shaken and destroyed. Eventually there will be a new heaven And a new earth. Okay? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, this is the good news. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence, here you go, and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In contrast to the instability of the world around us, the kingdom of Jesus cannot be shaken. God's kingdom will not be shaken. There's nothing that can shake. Even at the death of Jesus, it wasn't shaken. It was fulfillment of what God knew had to be done. So just think about that, all right? This is our stability in an unstable world. We don't yet fully have this kingdom, do we? The kingdom of God is not fully here yet. We have some of it, but yet the rest of it come, all right? Not received all of it, but we received some of it. We have received the promise of the coming kingdom, We have in principle, and we see the principle of God's kingdom at work in this world. The principles of God's kingdom are at work in this world. We have received it in power, and see the life-changing and miraculous power of God at work in the world today. We have the power of the kingdom of God. We have the principles of the kingdom of God. We have the promise of the kingdom of God. We have received the provision, the protection of the kingdom of God. Am I right? He provides and He protects those who fall underneath the umbrella of His kingdom, because our King provides for us and protects us, we have received it in community for the churches our kingdom community. So as we come together, we are actually in the we are the kingdom of God. We are we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And when we come together, we create an atmosphere of the kingdom of God where his power shows up, where his presence shows up, where his provision shows up, where we see the promises of God being fulfilled. This that's what gatherings are all about when it comes within the church. Because we receive this kingdom that is of God and from God that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and offer God acceptable worship. Why do we worship God? Well, we worship because we love Him. We worship Him because what? What He's done for us. What He's provided for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, we are now citizens of the greatest kingdom to ever be created. And because we are members of that, because we're first and foremost citizens, not of the United States of America, we are first and foremost citizens of what? The kingdom of God. Everything has to become through the filter of the Word of God for you to to, to be a part of the kingdom of God. My American rights do not override my kingdom rights. My American rights cannot jeopardize my kingdom rights. If the kingdom of God says I can do something, I can do it, regardless of what my, United, my American rights, my United States rights. If the kingdom of God says I shouldn't do something, regardless of what my rights as a citizen of the United States says I can do, I don't do it. Why? Because I'm, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. I fall underneath the umbrella of the kingdom of God. It is here. It's yet to come, but it's here, right? It's kind of like salvation. I'm saved. I'm being saved. One day I'll be fully saved when I stand before God. The kingdom's here. The kingdom, we're still bringing the kingdom in. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And one day His kingdom will be set up here on earth. See, Because of that, let's worship Him. We are serving the winner. It don't matter who wins in the Super Bowl. It don't matter who wins in whatever in life. It doesn't matter who, who, who wins at, the, at the, 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 the White House. It doesn't matter. We are serving a God who is the winner of all. He is the victor. We are victorious with Him. Because of that... We need to worship. We need to be in awe of what He's done, and we need to worship Him. Why do we live this way? Because God is a consuming fire. Is fire good or bad? Yes. yes. Absolutely. Fire speaks of God's acceptance of our offering. Fire speaks of acceptance of God's offer, our offering to God, but fire also speaks of God's judgment on man. See? Because of who He is, and, we are, and we're citizens of His kingdom, He's saying right here, worship. Worship God. Worship Him. Amen. Any questions about that? Any comments about that? None? We're good? Okay, your homework is to read chapter 13. We will finish with chapter 13 next week. We will complete it. The week after that, we will have our annual business meeting, and the week after that, I'll let you know. I'm looking at letting you know. Don't. Sh- I've been praying about it. I'm looking at going into First Corinthians. Don't know. God could change my mind. It's just kind of preliminarily. I'm thinking, where are we going? Where do we need to go? And I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards 1 Corinthians. The only reason why, is because I've had a lot of people ask me a lot of questions lately. So I said, hey, if there's questions, let's, let's jump into the book of 1 Corinthians and see where the Lord may take us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray a blessing over you. It gives us a few minutes for our small group to fellowship, so please don't feel like you had to run away. Amen. Thank you for joining our podcast here at bear creek ag our goal is to help others know god find freedom discover their purpose and make a difference have a great week